Welcome into another episode of Crunch Time. Welcome into another episode of Crunch Time. I'm your host, Joe Hamilton, alongside Theo. Theo, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. It's an interesting weekend of sports. Lots of ups. Certainly some big downs. And uh, let's get right into it, yeah. Yeah, let's get right into it. First, can we talk about something kind of cool? I mean, the Blues did the first, their first Hall of Fame, I guess, I guess first inaugural class of their Hall of Fame, which I'm kind of shocked they didn't do before. Um, they had a bunch of guys that were in the inaugural class in attendance at Enterprise on Saturday, and Scotty Bowman dropped the ceremonial first puck. That is so cool. Scotty Bowman looks good for his age, man. He probably could still coach if he wanted to. I'm, I'm kidding on that. I, I know he's not going to. But it was a fun night. Just wish the, the Blues on the other side would have played better. I mean, the thing is, you couldn't get the puck away from Tampa. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, uh, I mean it's, Tampa, it's, Tampa was playing pick uh, keep away. Go ahead. No, it's great when you have a, a ceremony and an induction group like that. I mean, it's uh, you're right. It's far too long for a program like the Blues to not have done it previously. And there are so many worthwhile, you know, potential builders, players, uh, citizens that have been involved in the Blues organization to be part of that uh, Blues Ring of Honor, the, the Hall of Fame ring that they're going to present. Hopefully they do it each year. Uh, but it just gives the opportunity to promote and to build that community, that nostalgia with you know, the group with that organization and the blues have been there since I want to say 67, if my yep. memory is right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of good names. There's a lot of good players uh, looking forward to seeing who else they add to that ring. But I mean, like you said, Scotty Bowman's one of the guys that you could, you know, easily put in there and yeah, for how good he looks. Absolutely. There's some benches that would might have him in there, but uh, I mean, Talk about a guy that uh, you know started his career, started with the Blues, worked his way through the system in many decades in the NHL, and you know to do what he did uh, in his career as well as drop the puck uh, last week. It's a pretty cool feeling for not only the Blues fans in attendance but the Blues organization. I'll agree. Yeah, it is. Um, but uh, going to the game on the ice and it, it wasn't pretty. Um, you scored the first goal. I get that. Tyler Pitlick on a breakaway. Other than that, they did nothing. They they couldn't get the puck away from Tampa. Tampa just exudes confidence every time they touch the ice. I mean, granted, they've won two Stanley Cups. They went to back-to-back-to-back Stanley Cups. Um, <laughs> that team just showed me they're far and away better than this Blues team right now. They have a – you talk about the sense of confidence that teams have that exude. They exude that. But also Tampa's game plan, their strategy is is keep away. It is about possession. It is a team that rarely will – you know, if they had a choice of, A, throwing the puck in the, into the offensive zone or carrying it, they're going to do the latter of the two. And the skill on that team is pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, when you consider the likes of Stamkos and Kucha, which is obvious, but – Victor had been shutting it down, and you know, goaltending will go far and far wide. I mean, just case in point, I mean, you let the first one in on a breakaway, sure, but solid in the pipes the rest of the game. Well, part of that is the Blues really didn't have anybody in front of the net to disrupt Vasilevsky. I mean, granted, he's a great goaltender, he probably could stop anything, even in traffic, but. 
there's a chance you can beat him if you have traffic in front of him. I mean, there's he can stop it, but maybe you can get a lucky bounce here and there. Hockey's all about lucky bounces, and in every shot, it seemed like I was there Saturday, Saturday night, and every shot, it seemed like no confrontations in front of the net. I mean, it was easy for Vasilevsky. It really was. Even the great A scoring chances, when Vasilevsky's looking you straight in the eye, he's going to make that save more times than not, unless you make a really good move, okay? So they lost that game, and they were outplayed, outcoached, out everything in that game. Well, they go into Monday's game against the Ottawa Senators, and they win 2-1, to one, and it wasn't a pretty win. I'm not Look, I'm not trying to be negative on my team here, I but the Ottawa Senators, you need to be beat. This is the same team that was beat by Colorado 7 nothing. Granted, Colorado and St. Louis, two different teams. I get that. But the Blues only scored two goals. And on their power play, I think it was the last power play the Blues had. Ottawa had the puck more than the Blues. They're not as bad of a team as they used to be, Theo. I get it. But at the same time, you can't make a team look good on your power play. I'm sorry. They're... they're there are some clearing holes on this blue team. I, I I don't know how you see it, Theo. I don't know if you saw highlights from that game, but it was an it's, ugly. I mean, granted, it was a win, but it was an ugly win. You know what? At the end of 60 minutes, who had more goals? The Blues. I get it. No, okay, I'm so not talking points. bad about my team. No. I get it. Yeah. But do you see where I'm going with this? Do you, Absolutely. Do you see- and you know what? There's, there's 30. Every NHL team is a group of professional hockey players. You have to remember that. These aren't slouches by any means. Certain players, certain teams play against better teams in a different way. You look at all of the stats for any of the teams. And sure, there are teams like the Ottawa's, the Phoenix's, the Arizona's, the, you know, the Ducks that play teams harder than others because they match up better. Um uh, the Ottawa Senators play harder teams better. And at the same time, you have to look at the psychology of the whole thing and say, some teams, when they're supposed to beat a team 5-1, just don't show up. And when they just don't show up, it looks like they play down to that team's aggression, that team's skill, that team's ability to play the game the same way. And you know what? When it comes to the St. Louis Blues, at the end of the day, yeah, it's a 2-1 win. Sometimes it looks a little uglier. Sometimes it's not as best, not the best foot forward, the best performance, but a win is a win. And to get off the fact that they played not the greatest of games in Tampa versus Tampa, they worked on some things. Some things worked out to their fortune, and one of them being a 2 1 victory. You know, I just feel like can put it in. Yeah. I just want to know, Theo, what they're working on when it's time to work on a power play. I mean, it's it's bad. It's why absolutely why, the ask, why 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 aren't they asking the right question then? I don't know. I'm not sitting in that I'm not sitting in that uh you know press conference pre and post or that pra- or that practice, practice or that practice rink. I mean you're yeah. not sitting there. We're not sitting there, so I get it, but they they need to work on this power. This power play was top, tops in the league, not tops in the league, but one of the tops in the league last year. Mm-hmm. So there's no excuse. I mean, this is almost the same roster minus David Perron. Yeah. So he didn't see power play time very much. I mean, the bottom you have to. You, they did. David Perron had most of his points on the power play. But your power play needs to be innovative. Your power play needs to 
be ever changing. If it's not working, change it up. And I don't see, I see lackluster skating. I see very little movement to open ice on the St. Louis Blues power play. And if you watch a lot of their setup, it's in the same line where you have more than one player in a passing lane. For example, if you have the puck on the boards and you look to the center of the ice and you look to the point, all three players are in the same line instead of being staggered. Well, it just takes one defender to block that pass. And when you're already up a man, you're then making yourself a four-on-four power play by putting everybody in the same passing line. You need to stagger your passing line so that a player that's on the defensive side of things needs to make the decision of do it. Does my defensive stick go to the left side of me or the right side of me to block that passing lane? And it's not being done with St. Louis. They're standing around too much. They're not moving the puck fast enough. They're not entering the zone with any type of promise. Those are the three things I've noticed from the St. Louis Blues power play over the last month and a half. They're just not moving with any power, any possession, any purpose. And David Perron or not, I mean, find the ones that are going to be out there. Get the speed. You got Kyrie with the speed. You got Thomas with the possession. You got Tarasenko with the shot. You got three really good defensemen that can be playing the points. If not, throw a forward out there. And by gosh, start moving the puck crisper and with purpose through the offensive part of the zone. And It'd be a lot easier if the Blues had Scott Perunovich right now. Because with Krug out, you need a quarterback on a power play. Who is it? Falk? He's not been playing well at all. So you go ahead. You could throw Thomas on the point. You know, you could, instead of putting him down low, it depends on how you want. And that's the thing, Joe. You have to understand, when you're on a power play, it's all about geometry, triangles. You're taking two-on-ones and you're maximizing the potential, the opportunity of a two-on-one. And if you're able to do that and you're able to make one player be out of position so much that opens up a passing lane or a shooting lane, then you're getting your offensive scoring opportunities. It's a quick touch and go, give and go pass, boom, boom, click, cross ice pass to get a goalie out of the zone. It's all about geometry and triangles. Find any coach in the NHL, prove me wrong, I will show you. Give me any clip in the world, I will show you. It's about triangles. You want to take possession of the play. You want to make sure that they're breaking down a five on four into a four on three to a two on one. And once you get that two-on-one in your best interest to get a powerful or a better shot or a better pass, you make motion, you make movement, you take that shot on net, you get a goal. So you, yeah, it, that is simply put. But the problem is the Blues, they don't win that first face-off either. It also hinges on you winning that face-off in your offensive zone, and the Blues don't do that. How many times have I seen where – you know, that first face-off, they lose it. It ends up on the other end. Yeah. You know, it's 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 almost predictable now. And that's sad. That is very sad. One thing I do want to bring up, though, and I know kind of we're going backwards here, but in the Tampa game, Jordan Kyrie was going in for an icing. Well, was going in for a foot race. And he just stopped skating. He just stopped skating. And he, what looked like an easy foot race the defender from Tampa beat him. Not defender, but forward. I mean, someone with speed, I guess, had enough speed to beat Kairou, which is amazing to me because Jordan Kairou was the fastest skater in the NHL last year, if you count the All-Star game. This guy needs to not take shifts off, is my point. And I was I listen to games while I'm at the game. I know that's weird. I Whatever. I don't even care. 
there was a time where Chris Kerber was saying that Jordan Kyrie was getting an earful. And frankly, I don't blame Baruby for giving him an earful on that. You had a clear icing, and you let the guy beat you to the puck. This guy needs to not take plays off. I'm so tired of Jordan Kyrie doing that. Sometimes he looks like he's like he doesn't want to be there. And he can't do that if if he wants to, if he wants to go places with this team. He cannot be doing that. You know, you're one of the guys that need to step up while O'Reilly, Tarasenko are out. For you to stop skating tells me you don't give a shit. Well, that's you just paid the man. So, so he, but the thing is, it's not till next year. Hopefully, someone's in his ear like, you can't be doing that shit. He's a young player, though, Theo. That's why I'm saying, hopefully, someone's in his ear. I get it. So, but yeah, they beat Ottawa. Uh, They're playing Nashville on Thursday. Then they play the Chicago Blackhawks, I think, Saturday. And then they end the homestand, end this season long seven game homestand against the Buffalo Sabres. You got two out of three tough games. I mean, I don't call the Buffalo Sabres slouches by any means. I mean, they they do have Tage Thompson, who the Blues gave up in the Ryan O'Reilly trade. And Tage Thompson's found something, man. I I don't know what got into him, but he, he looks really good right now for Buffalo. He's, you know, he's got a great offensive touch. He's been given lots of ice. He's a young kid with a lot of spunk, a lot of spark. And, yeah, he – imagine if they didn't trade for O'Reilly. Like, the, I can't, you can't go back in the time machine, of course, but you think about whether or not Thompson would have been given that opportunity should Jake Eichel still be a Buffalo Sabre. You think about the fact that they made that trade for Ryan O'Reilly, who did get the Blues a Stanley Cup. You know, uh, all of these things, would you trade back for? Probably not. But in – you know, in wishful thinking, yeah, Tage Thompson could be that next stud that could have been running with Thomas and Kyber, but you'd be without a ring. So pick your poison there, Joe. I'll take the ring any day. I'm sorry. I, I mean, exactly. especially when the Blues haven't didn't win a cup in their history. I mean, went to three Stanley Cup finals in a row and lost all of them, got swept actually in the first one. Mm-hmm. So... I'd rather take a ring, and that's an easy, easy say for me. Um, Theo, your Jets. I looked. They're in first place. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing to me, Theo. I mean, you know, we talked about there being some disarray, taking the C off. I mean, it, it didn't look good for uh, Winnipeg. And now, my God, man, they look really good. Really good. 40 games into the season. I mean, this is halfway through. This is at the time where, you know, you you know what your team is. So they put the NHL on notice in a good way. And when you consider the injuries that they had in the last couple of weeks, still have a couple of key guys out on injury. But you've got Nick Ehlers back on a point streak. You've got Blake Wheeler potting goals. You've got no captaincy to worry about. You've got Josh Morrissey making the all-star game and you've got Connor Hellebuck getting the fan vote. Hopefully should be finishing tonight. Uh, you've got Mark Shifley with 26 already. Pierre-Luc Dubois is playing like an absolute beast. There's any, every team in the NHL will want to be him or want to have him next year 
because he'll test free agency. And, of course, he's playing in his hometown tonight in Montreal. And he started up a similar what P.K. Subban did. He started up a, a charity function in Montreal, which is fantastic. It's the Dubois Foundation, which I think is awesome. But everything is pointing in the right direction for the Winnipeg Jets. And if you were to say that to me in September, give me a break. Everyone would have said, give me a break. I think they're highly overachieving. And I don't see them losing any of that speed anytime soon. So for the Jets, I mean, they've been held, holding themselves accountable. And we talked a little bit about coaching last week. Coaching is one of those, and it's that conductor that drives the train more so than the captaincy. I mean, there's a culture that's been recreated in that locker room, in that dressing room, starting with Bones, Rick Bonus, but also with his coaching staff, the changes that were made, and just how much more fun it is for a team and that feeling of winning versus not understanding or not knowing who they are, their identity last year. They changed, they've got some really high-energy guys like, Albies in there. They lost Estimont to the Sharks on waivers, which I think was a huge, a bit of a loss because he was a really fast, good skater, really fit in well with the Jets program. But they're not done. There's something mixing in the water here in Winnipeg that they're going to be, they're winning for the now because a lot of these contracts are going to come up, including Blake Wheeler's. You're going to start paying guys like, uh, you know, Josh Morris. He's coming off contract in a year or two. You still got some guys locked up, but the big kicker is this is last year you're going to have definitely with PLD and having him in the middle is huge. And he's, he's playing like a force to be reckoned with. And it's awesome to see it's when you get to see him live, Joe, it's, it's impressive. You know, he plays a 200 foot game. He's pretty conscious on the defensive end and he moves people on the offensive side of the puck. You talk about moving a mountain in front of the goal. He's a mountain. Uh, yeah, I'm going to that game against the Jets in March. I should send Enterprise, you my jersey. So. <laughs> or maybe I should make a road trip. You need to. Actually, that would be really cool. Come come, uh, come to St. Louis. Come watch that game. And I guess we'll do dinner after or before, sure. whatever. That would, yeah. be, that, that would be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to dampen your mood a little bit, Theo. I, I know I know you are so high on the Jets right now. But how could you how much lower can you be on the Chargers right now? Oh boy. Yeah. yeah uh man. we're we're switching. Okay, we're switching. Yeah, we're switching. Because, hey, I that was my best uh transition. Be, yeah, best segue there. So, um what the hell happened? You're up 27 to nothing, right? And you lose that game. <laughs> it's it's absolutely deplorable. Uh, it's the it's deplorable from top to bottom. And I'll start from the bottom. Missing field goals, inopportune penalties. Not running the ball. Losing. Pardon me. Not running the ball. You ran oh, like semi. You you ran you fifty semi plays and it. I'll talk about there's the, you could you could quote Charles Dixon Dickens in the Tale of Two Cities, you can quote George Clooney in the Perfect Storm, you can quote uh, 
I'll quote my brother who said, everything that could have gone right went right for one team and everything that went wrong for one team could have gone wrong and did go wrong for the other. And it was a tale of two halves. Truly was. I mean, 27 to 7 after the half, you're James has got three INTs. Tranquil adds another one. You're plus four on the turnover ratio. You basically make Trevor Lawrence look like an innocent bystander as a quarterback. He's scratching his head running, what do I have to do next? What can I do? Is there anything I can do? And then all of a sudden, the third quarter starts. Special teams clicks in for the Jaguars. Special teams does not work for the Chargers. The offense goes from 185 on short fields in the first half to 140 total in the second half. You still win the turnover margin by a plus five by the end of the game. First team ever to lose a game in the playoffs with a plus five turnover margin. And here you are in all dying seconds. The Jaguars have a chance to win and they do it with a field goal. And everyone looks at Bosa throwing his helmet down because the officials don't make the right call. I mean... There are so many intricate things that have occurred on that field, Joe. But if Coach Brandon Staley has his players in check and has a message to his players delivered throughout the entire week on how to play this game and manage your emotions and play to your best ability to show that we can be a force to be reckoned with in the AFC and then you pull a dud by the end of 60 minutes. And then the organization pulls a dud, firing an offensive coordinator and a quarterback receivers coach the next day. Instead of firing the guy that's winning by wants to win, sets up a philosophy to win by a, only kicking field goals. I'm absolutely shocked. And to put matters worse, there's a guy in Los Angeles currently, right now, interviewing with the Denver Broncos in the name of Sean Payton, his head coaching staff, and himself wanting to get back in the NHL. In the NFL, sorry. Yeah. The <laughs> NFL. You have a guy like Justin Herbert. You have a running back like Austin Eckler. You have two wideouts, beasts, in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. You've got a plethora of other supporting slots. You've got a phenomenal defense that did not perform in the front eight, but did perform in the secondary. What are we waiting for? As a Chargers fan, you were let down. As a Chargers fan, the proof is in the pudding. How many games this year were won last-minute field goals or lost last-minute field goals? That should be the telltale sign from a coaching staff and an organization that does not want to put to bed the opponent but rather wants to keep him in the game for as much as they can and then just win by a field goal. I don't understand that coaching philosophy or that coaching strategy. Don't tell me that it's the other team that keeps themselves in the game because it's not. Brandon Staley, you're lucky. Well, you did say after that game, he said he'd be pissed off if he was the uh, coach of the Chargers next year. And it looks like he might be the coach of the Chargers next year. So, but my thing, Theo, if he was going to be fired, you'd think he'd be fired right away. You don't wait. Absolutely. No, th th that's the escape. That's the, that's the cop up because you get rid of the coordinators that you think you need to get rid of. Oh, You're you not think. Getting, like Lombardi goes because why? 
and Sean De- Shane Day goes because why? Last time I checked, Brandon Staley was a defensive coordinator guru before taking a head coaching job. Yet your defense was in the bottom five rankings in the last three weeks of football leading up to playoffs. Yet you won two of those three games and you almost killed yourself by having players, including Mike Williams, be injured so they couldn't play in Super Wildcard Weekend. Tell me what I'm not. Tell me what's not written on the wall, man. Can 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 you explain something to me, and then we'll go to Tom Brady real quick. Sure. Can you explain something to me? Why in the hell are you playing? And this is week 18, okay? Going back to week 18. Why in the hell are you playing your starters to start the second half? Why are you even playing your starters to begin with? If you have a playoff spot. And a chance your players getting hurt. That makes no damn sense. No. Mike Williams gets hurt. and Mike Williams gets injured. Joey Bosa was, or, uh, you know, he was injured. Uh, but he was able to play. Uh, just, it, it's a dumbfounded question. You know, part of, and part of it is, the players don't want to lose their edge. They don't want to lose that playing. They don't want to have an off week before going into the playoffs. I get that. Play them one quarter then. Play them for a quarter or two. Get them a little bit of stretch. Get them a little playing time. Preparation is routine. That routine is key for these athletes. They love routine. They love to be a part of it. When When routine is knocked off the wheels, then it becomes a bit of a problem. And for a lot of these players... Yes, they probably do go to the coaches and say, I do want to play. But having that said, and I'm not I'm not blaming this loss on injuries. I'm blaming this loss on a coaching staff. Because the coaching well, staff prepares the players, the players perform on the field. And if you are up 27 to 7 after the half, how do you lose that game with a last minute field goal? I don't get it. I don't I don't see how A matches to B leads to B and here we are playing golf on a Monday, Tuesday instead of preparing to play the Kansas City Chiefs. We're cleaning lockers and hitting 18 instead of worrying about playing the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm done. so I, I would rather honestly I would have rather have not made the playoffs. I that's agree how, with that's that. How, you know, on Monday, not now because it's Tuesday, but on Monday morning, Sunday morning after that game, I'm out hanging out. Look at the halves, 27-7. Pretty much should be in the bag. And then I look at, you know, look at some media posts and I said, Chargers, really? And I said, wait one second. What did I miss? Oh, that's right. I missed an absolute debacle of a second half. Awful. You know what's equally as bad, Theo? Tom Brady now. You no. can't you can't blame no it, it, I'm saying Tom Brady now. I'm not saying through his career. I'm not gonna get into that hot water. I'm talking now. 
the offensive line, and I was talking to a Bucks fan, well, a Tom Brady fan last night, and he said, oh, it's kind of hard when your offensive line doesn't give you time when he's rushed all the time. Well, he did make throws, and they were well behind his receivers. They were well in front of his receivers. No one was on the same page. Uh, they fired their offensive coordinator in Byron Leftwich today. And to be honest with you, Tom Brady also made it clear he's done with the Buccaneers. And I don't believe Blame him, I guess, because, yeah, it wasn't all on Tom Brady. But, I mean, come on. You can't have a terrible season like Tom Brady did and not expect some of the blame or some of uh, it being on you and how bad you were because he was bad this year, man. He's lucky they even made the playoffs. I mean, he needs he needed to retire last year, Theo. You, we did, we, you, did, you did mention that. Okay, Tampa Bay. I'm just going to go through the, the the selection of excuses that Tampa Bay has had over the course of the this year. Just this year. Okay. Starts off with Gronk retiring. You don't have your tight end go-to alpha, your scapegoat for third down and whatever. You tried to replace him with, you know, two or three other guys. They don't amount to anything that Gronk is. Number two, your offensive line starts off very healthy in week one. Over the course of the 18 weeks of the season, you went down to three starters be able to play in that last game against Dallas. Number three, you had a gentleman by the name of Mike Evans who was never on the same page as TB12 for most of the season, except for three games, one of which they collected 210 yards on three big catches and two, three touchdowns. Number four, he's a 45-year-old quarterback who was given zero support, especially throughout the season, when you consider the fact that their offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich, did absolutely nothing to correct the league's worst running game at less than 76 yards per game. When you had Leonard Fournette, who was supposed to be the stud, who you rested up and didn't play in Week 18 so that he could have a larger workload against the Dallas Cowboys yesterday. You know how many rushing attempts they had yesterday, Joe? Nine. You know how many passing attempts TB12 had to take? His second most. I think it was 61 or 62 by the end of the game. We all know you do not win any game when you are 6-1 to one passing over running. Where is your time of possession? Where is your control of the game? Where is your control of the line? That's why Tom Brady is fed up and done. He had to get rid of the ball faster than ever before last game. And his team was only 8-9. 8-10 and nine. Eight and ten if you include last night's game. Godwin was injured half the time. Again, Evan's not on the same page. Fournette didn't perform. I think he's been an absolute, well, outside of his Super Bowl year. He's been a bust. The offensive line was terrible. Injured. Riddled with injury. Defense tried to do what they could, but hey, that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. And you know what? There are apparently sources say that there's three teams that want to sign Tom Brady. I'll put my money on it. The one that has the best tax return or least taxes taken off his next bill is the one that's going to beat him. Or he goes back to the West Coast and helps out one of those West Coast teams. There's the two places he goes. But 
again, Byron left, which, I mean, that offense did absolutely nothing to correct itself throughout the entire season. They were playing on hopes and dreams that Moses, a.k.a. Tom Brady, would part the Red Sea and they would go to victory and go against San Francisco this week. Not happening. Kudos to the Dallas yes. Cowboys shutting up Stephen A. Smith and all the Cowboy haters, thankfully. I mean, I love hearing that. You know, I don't know if you saw that this morning. Mr. Stephen A. tucked tail and run Smith. Uh, good for the Cowboys. First road win in 30 years. Dak played like Dak could. I mean, two-headed monster in the backfield. How about T.Y. Hilton and Schultz and C.D.? Like, they're sneaky good. They've been, they're twelve and five team. They're good, but you know what? They're sneaky good right now, and they could do some damage to San Francisco. But I don't. That's going to be a hard matchup. Probably the best game. All right. Since you since you brought up the matchups, all right. You have the Jaguars and Chiefs. Um, I see the Jaguars getting absolutely victimized, but we thought that against the Chargers too, and look what happened. So, does Andy Reid let that? happen i don't think so um i i think this is going to be a 14 point 14 point game uh, yeah the chiefs are going to at least win by 14 it's a it's not a home game for jacksonville it's in kansas it's, it's in kansas it's in City. yeah you know it's that's number one number two andy reed is going to take this first the second year first time opportunity quarterback and trevor lawrence and dismantle him um you know Andy Reid has been here time and time again. He's a perennial playoff coach. Granted, Trevor Lawrence has performed beautifully in that non-Urban Meyer scenario. He's truly got out of got himself out of that blanket, that shadow that was cast over him in his first year. But he's definitely not going to be able to take out Kansas City. And I'll agree with no, you. No, yeah, this game is a little tougher to call, though. You got the Giants and Eagles. Now, I say it's tougher to call because the Giants actually looks pretty damn good. Granted, it was against the Vikings team who can't win in the playoffs, having a quarterback who is the perennial choker of all chokers. But I, this is going to be a tough game here. This is, I mean, you got Jalen Hurts. Who knows where he's at health-wise? Yeah. <sighs> It's in Philadelphia, so I'm going to pick Philadelphia. But I'm not feeling too confident about that. You have first-year coach Nick Sirianni. You have a Jalen Hurts that's coming back off injury. You have a multitude of weapons that should be able to help the Eagles put some points on the board versus a Giants team who has a Daniel Jones who believes in himself. If that Daniel Jones shows up again, makes the game a lot closer. You have a head coach in Brian Dable who did fantastic work throughout the season, residing and promoting confidence in not only Daniel Jones, but Saquon Barkley. And you also have to remember the first time that the Eagles played the Giants, the secondary of the Giants was decimated with injury. And now two of the ball hawks for the, San Francisco, for the New York football Giants are back in the lineup. So... They shut down Jefferson for only 47 yards last weekend against Minnesota. They could do the same to Brown. We'll see. Playing in Philly, I think it's going to be a close game. I, it could be decided by three, I think. But 
who wins that one. I think Philly does pull out the victory, though. Again, Philadelphia, I picked them, but I'm not really confident in that pick. Um, it, like I was earlier in the season. I mean, you have, a, again, Jalen Hurts. The health of Jalen Hurts is going to dictate this game. In yes, my mind. So, so you have the Bengals and Bills. I think this this is going to be the game of the weekend um, in Buffalo. So, Buffalo should have a little bit of an edge, but it is Joe Burrow. I mean, this is, this is, this is uh, to go to the AFC Championship game. I, I, I don't know how to pick this. I don't. Uh, it's in Buffalo, but I love the Bengals too. Um, Theo, I'm just going to let you have this. My mind right now, Joe, can't think or fathom the idea that these two teams played literally two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I mean, played half a quarter, but yeah. They played half a quarter, exactly. And that thought process is going to go through these players' minds. Don't think that they're going to not think about that. Like let that, that's, that's just human behavior. Uh, I expected the Cincinnati Bengals to do a lot more against the Baltimore Ravens. I expected that <laughs> offense to do a lot more damage. Well, but I mean, I give Tyler Huntley credit. credit Bills, I, I expected the Buffalo Bills at the same time to shut down Miami without a Tua or a Teddy Bridgie, but they didn't either. So the best foot forward for both of these teams didn't show last weekend. But now that best foot forward has to come here this weekend. And they have to get rid of all the skeletons, all the thought process, the previous thought processes that have gone on over the last three, two weeks. And they got to play football against each other again. This time, four, four quarters. You can't decide it after a coin flip or after a quarter of play. This is going to be a 60-minute game where you're going to see more fluctuation in this game, I think, than any other three, other four, three games upcoming, both in emotion, in physical play, in storylines, you name it. The fact that it's being played in Buffalo gives the edge to the Bills. They were the better team throughout the entire season. But don't knock Joe and don't knock Chase. Because they could go off. They haven't gone off in a while. And that combination could be lethal. And that could hurt Buffalo. Yeah, it could hurt Buffalo big time. So, uh, who do you got? I would like to see the Bills win. But the Bengals did it last year and they could do it again. So, I'm going to take the Bills. I'll take the Bills too. Just it, it's going to be. T- I don't feel confident about that, that pick either. And this one, I won't feel confident about either. I'll be honest with you. Uh, you have the Cowboys and 49ers. Um, somehow, I think the Cowboys win this game. I do. Tell me why. Because Brock Purdy. This is. I'm. I'm waiting for that. Rookie mistake. I'm waiting for that. And he hasn't had it yet. And nothing comes without controversy. Brock Purdy isn't ready for that controversy. 
I think this Cowboy team can do something. I think this Cowboy team can go to the uh, NFC Championship game. I really do. If if yeah. let's just say Jimmy Garoppolo was in this game for for San Francisco, I'd say San Francisco no con. I mean, it, it'll be it'd be a contest, but it'd be it'd be a win by San Francisco. I think I think the Cowboys win this game. I look at the supporting. I look, so look, let's look at the quarterback scenario real quick. Brock Purdy hasn't lost a game. His first win was against Tom Brady in the regular season. San Francisco with Brock Purdy is a perfect seven and zero, six and zero. Currently, 11, 0, 11 wins altogether in a row. Uh, you know, Dak did something pretty special last night, and. You know, they've built a little bit of confidence. As, you know, their coaching staff said, they've earned that star on the helmet. But that star on the helmet is going to face a 49ers team in San Francisco that has one weapon in McCaffrey, another weapon in Debo Samuel, another weapon in Kittle, and then a guy that doesn't have a lot of tape on him in Brock Purdy. And the number one defense in the NFL. My big thing is if whether or not the offensive coordinators can keep Brock Purdy from making mistakes with football. Because like you said, he hasn't made that career-altering problem change mistake yet. And if Brock Purdy can still play pretty flawless football, doesn't have to control the game. Jimmy Garoppolo never controlled the game either. But there is too much goodness going on in San Francisco to say that Dallas can interrupt that type of gameplay. And I think San Francisco just has too much going on. Unless Dak can do something that continues to play like they did against Tampa, I don't see it happening. I think the 49ers defense is too good. They will put pressure on Dak in different ways that – will make him have to throw the ball faster, make him mistakes in his throwing. He didn't throw an INT yesterday, so he's due for one this weekend coming up. And I just think the Niners have too much weapons on offense too. I really like what San Francisco did this year throughout the season, and I think they've got a good chance to beat Dallas. I'll take the San Francisco 49ers. Okay, okay. So we made our picks. We're almost out of here. Theo, do you have any shout-outs? I want to give props to the U18 women's tournament that took place in the international team tournament that took place this past week. Uh, it wasn't a Canada USA final. You know, it was nice to see four teams, including Sweden and Finland play tremendous hockey at the U18 level. It's going to look tremendous hockey for the upcoming years for the women's game. And I want to see it get some national coverage. I want to see it get more attention internationally because these players are doing tremendous work. Uh, and kudos, I mean, Canada won the thing in overtime, but nonetheless, a great tournament, lots of tremendous skill for those players. And uh, it was great to see the highlights and great to see some of the show put on by uh, the media networks. Yeah, the women's game needs to be I get um, more televised. I mean, you, you, we need to see more of it, more publicity more everything so hopefully that happens this year but hey judging by past years it won't and it's sad so um for theo i'm joe thank you guys for watching 
Until next week, have a good one, everybody.